Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, and once you figure out how the, the key to understanding all of this, all of a sudden the whole world opens up to you and you say, oh, now I see why there were a twin towers in New York. New York, the Empire State. You need to do some homework on the term Twin Tower and find out that it goes back to Jacob and Boaz of the, of the Phoenician. End of day. The freedom of speech is being taken away. Was it 1997, Michael, Anil? And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I am a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First-time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show, a place where you don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Live and direct right now on the TuneIn Radio app. Search End of Days and you'll find the 24-7 Network. My guest this evening is Robert Stanley, formerly a corporate journalist for Honda Research and Development. Robert is currently employed as a corporate editor for an international social compliance service. Robert has traveled to more than 50 countries during his lifelong pursuit of modern and ancient mysteries. Over the past 30 years, his quest for unique ideas and information has led him to research and write about many, many controversial topics. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Welcome back to the program. Tonight will be fun. Always an honor and pleasure to be here. Thank you to those listening here in America and those who listen outside of America. Oh, yes. No matter where you are on this island Earth, I really do appreciate you being here with me tonight. So much to go over. However, Mr. Stanley, I believe, is waiting. Let's bring him in. Hello, Robert. How are you? I'm doing well, Michael. How are you? I am fantastic. Thanks for being here, by the way. I know you are in a different part of this island Earth, so I'm I'm so happy you can be here. Thank you. And on Thank short, pleasure. yeah, and on short notice too. So you know, I really do appreciate that so much. Okay, no problem. Yes, my friend. How how are you, Robert? Are you okay? You doing good? <laughs> yeah, I'm just busy. I mean, it's good to be busy, but lately, I don't know. Uh, a lot of people um, contacting me. Um, That's a good thing. I suppose. I mean, I mean, yeah. I I said I'm here to help people. <laughs> That's right. Sometimes you get what you ask for, and oh, my God, I guess a lot of people need help. Oh, trust me, lots of people do. Lots of people we can't even help, however. That's true. Yeah. but yeah, I, that's I, very frustrating. I do want to backtrack just a little bit here before we 
continue, I, I did want to go over your background just very briefly for those who are new to the program and right. uh, never heard of you, Robert. Oh, they have never heard of me? It's very, well, that's, yeah. Yeah, hey, guess what? That's Those people are few and far between right now. Exactly. Uh, that's one of the reasons I'm getting so much email and right. requests and whatnot. Yes, sir. Yeah. I, I didn't ex- – hey, look, I wasn't planning on this, Michael. Uh, I just wanted to share what I'd learned or what I, what I think is happening and that it's turned, it's kind of snowballed. It started last year, uh, YouTube actually. Once I started getting on YouTube, that's when things really went completely nuts for me and it's oh, yeah. getting, it's actually increasing. So anyway, um, what did you want to know? What do you want me to tell people? Uh, well, when did your journey actually begin in these controversial topics? Yeah. Um, I've always been interested in this somewhat. Um, but it really accelerated greatly. I would say the catalyst for the reason that I do this kind of work um, is because of what happened to me in September 21st, 1985, when I was working as a security guard in Malibu on the beach for the rich and famous, and it was uh, a private beach. And um, uh, there was an event that took place there that, well, <laughs> it brought me face-to-face with the paranormal in a way that was it didn't give me any wiggle room to um go into denial about what was happening it, in fact all it did was raise a lot more questions than answers in fact i had really didn't have any answers all i knew was that whatever had happened um was real or surreal i guess would be a better way to put it and um i so that's what was set me on the path of really trying to understand what the paranormal is and how it affects people's lives. Oh, yes. And one of the things I do want to backtrack here on this interview mm-hmm. is you you sort of caught a lot of heat on that last interview in regards to Zachariah Sitchin's work. Oh, yeah. So, that... Some folks were really upset on your take on the Secret Space Program. And also right. the big one is uh, Enki. Well, lots of people were very, <laughs> very triggered by that. I understand, and that's not my intention, but I completely understand their feelings about that because um, they see him as some sort of savior, father figure, and that's exactly what he wants. Um, yeah, I'm just pointing out the obvious, but it took, it seems obvious to me now. However, it took me almost 30 years of research and experience to come to that awareness. So, and I have nothing against that individual. Um, I'm just like trying to set the record straight and right. Yeah. It's it. uh, Okay. So for as many people as were upset, there was actually more people that were pleased. I agree. And, and so I, it's okay. Yeah. It's because lots of people, they, they hear so much uh, different things about Anki (laughs) and you know, here you are, you describe, you're describing Anki as a master manipulator. So people are like, okay, what's going on? Yeah, I know, and that's really where it caught fire on YouTube. Uh, it said uh, uh, the guy who met Enki and lives to tell. I mean, it's just like it was very – and it was a good hook, I guess. It yeah, painted it a lot of people into it. And yeah, I know I know it's upsetting people still. Um, it's weird, though. The, the people that are upset with me tend to write comments oh, yes. uh, on YouTube. <laughs> and right. so I guess typically they're called trolls, but I don't think that's really the case. Um uh, they just like the anonymity because those people are not writing email to me. Mm. I mean, the amount of negative email I've gotten over the years has diminished down to almost nothing. 
and watch now that I say that, you know, I'll get, You're gonna get one now. I'm going to get a bunch, but it's, that has been the trend. I'm just being honest now, transparent yeah, like as possible. That. Um, the, in fact, not only is the amount of in, mail increase, but the, the level of awareness that I'm seeing in these people that I'm engaging through email is that they are, um, very alert, very aware, very awake, and, and that they want to be proactive now. And that's why they're contacting me. They're trying to get some, some sort of guidance or advice or directions. So I'm, I'm really, uh, very optimistic that this was not a futile exercise on my part, just to discuss the matter publicly. Yeah, I agree. And also you had mentioned that, um, well, the last time we talked on, mm-hmm. uh, believe on Skype, you also had said you kind of forgot to go over the last entity featured in the last chapter of the modern day Bible. That depicts oh, yeah, Lucifer right. and Inky. Yeah, yeah we, we've kind of it's, forgot. Yeah, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm talking over you. That's okay. Um, yes, you're. Yeah, I remember that now. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, look, that's supposedly a a dream vision, or maybe he was in an astral plane. I don't know. It's hard to tell. That stuff is very ambiguous. Right. But yeah. the description of the character that's dictating to John or whoever this person is in Revelation. Uh, taking down the notes, basically taking directions from this authority figure that, m- that most people interpret as Christ. Um, I don't see it like that at all. It sounds exactly like Enki. I, I mean, everything it about it seemed like him. Yeah, so. and I agree with you on that. I just think lots of people have been completely influenced by Zachariah Sitchin over the years. Yeah, and I mean, they they picked the right person to do that job. Because I'm sure that Zechariah believed what he was saying in that regard. He was a a useful idiot, and um, because honestly, his books are written like uh, very childish. Uh, the the whole thing is um, he's not very really, good, yeah he's not a very good writer. Well, I know, and I know he had help too. By the way, oh like, yeah, every writer has a, at least one editor that looks at their work and helps them make changes. I mean, I'm an editor, so I can do it for myself. But in my early years, I definitely relied on various people to edit my work. And eventually I got good enough that I I could do it myself. But so there's more than one voice. I mean, like, look, honestly, I'll give you another example. Um, Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, real name. His work was fantastic. But you know why it was so good is because his wife was editing it. He took oh, yes. all the credit. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of typical. In the way yeah. show business works, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, also in the in that particular era, women were essentially second class citizens. So, um, yeah, she just had to take a kind of a silent role, and I'm sure she benefited from it somewhat. But yeah, she was actually uh, <laughs> had a huge impact on the uh, the final product. Oh yes, and. Um, one other thing that's been going on, and I'm, I'm quite aware that you're, you're most likely aware of this one. The mm. media went, went crazy not so long ago over that UFO footage that was released. It caught headlines all over the place. Yeah. Sort of a soft disclosure, sort of. Yeah. Sort of. Kinda. Um, it wasn't really disclosure. Yeah, it, it was really more wasn't. just an, it was an admission that they know about this activity. They didn't give us any more information, really. They just admitted that they're still studying it secretly. Like they've been doing all along. Yeah. I mean, ever since, and it didn't start in the forties. It started in the thirties at, um, Cape Girardo. Uh, I think that's Missouri when there was a crash landing there. Yeah. Cape Girardo. 
Uh, then there was another crash in or shoot down in Los Angeles, uh, behind Los Angeles, is possibly even off the coast of San Diego or Los Angeles area in 41. 40s. It was early 40s, you know, so-called Battle of L.A. That's right. not the only thing that happened. There was multiple yeah, events more. that happened around that area in various times. So, yeah, there was recoveries that, that this is all in hindsight now. But, I mean, I don't know what people are expecting from the government that, that lies and hides things. They're, they're not, why would they suddenly start telling us the truth and, and reveal things? Yeah, that's one thing that's bothered me more yeah. so than Tom DeLong being involved in that. Uh, well, look, uh, John Rappaport has done the best reporting on this. I mean, he's really used some critical thinking on the matter, and he's right. Uh, he, the so-called team that Tom put together is a bunch of spooks from the Pentagon. I don't think that he that was his idea at all. Yeah, those In were fact, CIA affiliates. Go ahead. Affiliates. No, they're retired spooks. They're military intelligence people, a- agents, field agents, analysts, operatives. I mean, come on. Their job is to... <laughs> They said this, by the way, in their own writing. They admit they even lie to each other. Oh, yeah. Okay, so they lie to us routinely, and they control the narrative. I mean, psychological warfare, social engineering, whatever you want to call it. They chose DeLong, whoever they are, chose DeLong to be the front man for this effort, uh, whatever, this latest um, manipulation of the public's perception. It's It's been... They've been tr- controlling things since day one. But um, one of the reasons they chose DeLong and that why all the people on his so-called team are retired, there's a couple reasons. DeLong is not somebody who's considered credible by most people because he's a musician. I mean, if he was a physicist, maybe they would give it more credibility or something like that. But they, DeLong was chosen for a reason. He's very willing to go along with whatever he's told. And he's willing to pay the bill. Well, because he he thinks there's a huge paycheck at the end of this, this merchandising thing he's trying to put together. Of course, of course. So there's that motivation. I mean, there's other – but the, from what I was told from John Podesta's public relations firm, the one time I spoke to a, uh, a Mr. Rothschild, oh. Ed Rothschild was there working at that agency. He's no longer there, but, yeah, he was basically a handler for Podesta, and he told me that um, uh, the reason that disclosure wouldn't happen directly is because whoever, let's just say somebody from the FBI was to get up and hold a press conference and say, yes, we've we've recovered this and that, we, we've known about it for X amount of years. The X-Files are real, basically. Well, then that individual and that agency would be publicly held accountable. And, and they, not only that, whatever they said, they would then... <laughs> Then be um, uh, the public would would demand that they d- divulge even more because you know I mean you couldn't there's no way you could explain all this in just sound bites in a press conference so they right. would demand to know more like how long you really they, there's just no way that they could it, it's a can of worms right it, it and yes it basically it does have the potential to destabilize society on some level. If they were to divulge everything, yeah, I, I still thought it's a it's a positive step forward that that some of this caught some of the attention of the media. But what then, you, wait, whoa, 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 no, mm-hmm. hold on, no, it didn't. It didn't. That was all. No, because everything at the New York Times is sanctioned by the Pentagon, or at least some elements with the. Yes, they are. They are the deep state. Like the media is supposed to be the fourth estate or the fourth branch of government. 
It's unelected, but they they work hand in glove with uh, the machine, Washington, specifically the Pentagon. When it comes to this issue, that the media has been the method or the means that they, psychological warfare has been committed against the psyche of the American public. In other words, every time somebody came forward, doesn't matter how credible they are, the media would go into the immediate um, uh, debunking mode. Oh, right, right. All right. So this they had they had to have had this green lighted by the Pentagon that they wanted this to go to be treated differently. And the reason that this is because there are certain there's two factions. This way it was described to me by Command Sergeant Major Robert Dean. He said that this years ago he told me this that there were two factions that are battling it out, and one group really does want to uh, explain what's going on, call it disclosure or whatever. They'd like to, <laughs> they'd like people to be aware of it. The other group does not. That part is real. That part is real. However, what, so what we're getting though is kind of a, a compromised version. Oh, of course, uh, of, of course. I'm not disagreeing with you. All I'm saying yeah. is that it's good that there was some sort of coverage on it. It's, uh-huh. I'm, it's good to see that it's there, but then you look at uh, behind the scenes and well, yeah. that's when, that's when the waters become a little muddy. Yeah, I'm just saying their intent was not good. Not right. not good. I mean, yeah, this, this is you, they want to control the narrative. It was like the compromise was, look, yeah, we'll let you leak a little bit of this stuff out and admit this is going on, but we're not going to let it you go too far. You can't show samples. You can't disclose the rest of what Bigelow is really studying through NIDS at the specifically. Look, George Knapp kind of let it slip in a recent interview he had with Linda Moulton Howe that. Um, Bigelow knows a lot, and he's not talking. He's told George Knapp some things confidentially. So Knapp, being a reporter, listened, but he's also being respectful and is not not going to divulge anything unless he gets approval on it um, or authorization from Mr. Bigelow. But but Bigelow has not just samples. He's got a ton of scientific data on these portals. Because he didn't just buy the Skinwalker Ranch for a period of time and study what was happening there between parallel dimensions or universes. He bought multiple ranches that have this issue. And so I don't think he was doing it because he's bored. I think he is um, an asset. You know, you don't have to work directly for the CIA. I mean, you don't have to be – in other words, you don't have to be a card-carrying member of the, of the agency checking in, you know, punching the clock. You can easily become an asset. Anybody can be an asset. Right. It's it's really simple. It's very simple. They they use people. Yeah, that's that's always what's going on behind the scenes. It's always something awful going on. That's usually the case. We see it time and so, time again. And the media, as you said, it, it is controlled definitely. And I absolutely. say yeah, I say this on the program all the time. How uh, most people out there, good seventy to eighty five percent of people, are completely brainwashed. Because yeah, of the media. programming, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's part of the social engineering. It is part of psychological warfare. The, the example, the most blatant example I can think of is how I ended up being the one to break the story about UFO activity in Washington, D.C. The photographs were real. They're authenticated. That event really happened September 16, 2002, at night, the middle of the night. At the Capitol, a, a swarm of UFOs appeared over the Capitol. One of them landed on the roof. It should have never happened, but it did, and it was caught on film, 35-millimeter film. And so, and that individual, Mr. Allen, 
took the pictures, uh, submitted them to the station chief for ABC News in Washington, D.C., because that's where he'd been working for 14 years prior to <laughs> taking those photos. They refused to do anything with them. That was true for NBC and CBS. The only the only media outlet that started to show any interest was a National Geographic because the photographs were extraordinary as far as the quality. Oh, naturally, the content's more important, but you know they're really big on quality photographs. They're known for that. Their photography is Correct. top-notch. Right. Historically, that's been the case. Well, one of the uh, managing editors there wanted to run the story, and then he was fired shortly after showing an interest in those photographs and that story. How convenient. Because can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine if National Geographic published these pictures with the story uh, back in 2002? Oh, I think yeah. it would have got a lot of people's attention. A lot more attention than it would now. That's well, for sure. Um, yeah, people are still not paying attention to it because the major, the point is the major media is still uh, refusing to air that uh, report that not just the, okay, look, Yes, the events of July 16, 2002 were extraordinary. But the, where I came into it was, where I, the reason I wrote my first book, uh, uh, Close Encounters on Capitol Hill. Right. I was just going to ask you that. Is, well, it's because what I found is I was reporting on that one particular event. I was trying to put it into context, and I found that there was this huge amount of activity that had gone largely unreported. And I'm sure there's a reason for that. I mean, like we've been discussing, because the implications of all that are enormous. And yes, it's unsettling, but you know what? It's reality. So you, I think to live in denial of that reality is, is, I think it's to our detriment. Okay. But we have incontrovertible proof that UFO activity has been, um, accelerated, or at least the reporting of it has accelerated in the late forties all the way up into two thousands, uh, it was the year 2002 when when it seemed to take a whole new like like almost like you know a fire had been reignited right and and the activity was even higher than during the 50s you know most people think 1952 is a peak year and it was because and and at that time the media actually did have a press conference about the issue at the Pentagon and um Pentagon actually said quite a bit and it most of it wasn't reported about the events that were happening in D.C. proper. So they reported it three times, uh, during a couple times in July and once in uh, September. But there was, to my best estimate, there was over 80 UFO events that occurred in Washington, D.C. in 1952. That's a lot. That is uh, a lot. What, what Daryl Sims, who anybody doesn't know Daryl, you just look him up, the UFO hunter, uh, also a former CIA guy, told me that um, he was told, that at that time, and that was actually the year he was born. Um, uh, he said that they, the military thought that they were being invaded, which is probably accurate. I mean, I, I wouldn't dismiss that. It's a real possibility. However, the invasion didn't start in 1952 and whatever conflict has been raging in the heavens, in, and that would include us because we're part of it. I mean, earth is part of the, the heavens. Right. Uh, that's been going on for a long time and somehow we are in, involved in it and uh getting a straight answer on that is is really difficult but that's typical warfare you know the first they say the first casualty of war is truth yeah good point yeah i wish it wasn't the case so anyway you know i mean all these years later i wrote two books on the subject the second book was actually far more in depth it was over 900 there is i should say in uh 
is it called? Um, Covert Encounters in Washington, D.C. contains information from 1850 to 2011. There's over 900 reports of eyewitness accounts of UFO and or extraterrestrial activity in our nation's capital. You would think that somebody would have paid attention. And again, this is why I contacted Podesta's PR firm because, you know, he'd gone on the record, by the way, in 2002, the same year that these things swarmed the Capitol. He went on the record in October and said, well, you know, the public needs to know they can handle it. We should just tell them. It didn't happen. So he's one of the guys that would like to get it out. I personally think he's a very creepy guy. Obviously, oh, yeah. his brother is a he's a pedophile of some I, kind. You might have Probably a lawsuit here. Satanic. Sorry? I said we might have a lawsuit here. It's a joke, Robert. Don't worry. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's a joke. I'm kidding. Yeah, no funny. It's not funny. I mean, I, Jesus, I wish none of that was going on. But, you know, hey, look, since we're at it, I'm going to tell you something. Um, there on. was a guy contacted me years ago who had acquired a manuscript from a retired police officer. And uh, it was called Terminate with Extreme Prejudice. That was the name of the book. It was not a fiction book. It was really disturbing. And um, uh, what's relevant to this conversation is that um, he was working in a town in Michigan, which is, is historically known as, uh, as a high frequency of um, UFO sightings or activity around the lakes. And um, what he admitted in the book was that the there were quite a few high-level masons were basically running everything in that area and that some of them were involved in satanic practices. And here's what happened. Oh, boy. This is what just just it, it broke. The, it was the straw that broke his back right. as far as being law, law enforcement. He the children were going missing in the area from, from, you know, prominent families' homes. And of course, naturally the families were distraught. They sought the help of the police. The police chief at the time issued, uh, or I should say assigned individuals to investigate naturally. One of them was this individual. Um, he went on a stakeout on this island, small island on a river. When I say a river, some rivers, as you might know, are very wide. It's just how it is. Yeah. He went out to the river and did, and he was assigned there and had brought uh, surveillance equipment with him. He witnessed the, uh, some of the missing, and he was told not to engage no matter what he saw. If he saw anything, he, he was only to do surveillance. Oh, wow. So he, um, he was, he, he claimed that he had equipment that would work and that, uh, he witnessed and allegedly recorded some of the child, missing children being brought to that island and a satanic ritual was um, conducted with drugs, sex, symbols, you know, like pentagrams, etc. Right. Chanting. And these were adults that had brought these kids there, engaged in that behavior. And around dawn, a spacecraft showed up and took the kids. Jeez. Yeah. That's pretty dark. Well, hey, look, if it really happened, maybe now you understand why the Pentagon is not talking about the full implications. I mean, disclosure, oh, yeah. come on. It's one thing if I'm I'm nobody, if I'm just telling you this, just you and I talking. But I read that report, and eventually um, the person who had asked me to look at it and help him publish it, I bypassed him, and I, I actually spoke to the officer who was retired. And this guy was not kidding around at all. 
and his life had turned basically into hell oh, after my. he um after he wrote that manuscript and tried to pass it over to others to publish because there is no such thing as privacy, especially in that world. When you're dealing with that level of stuff, criminal activity, uh, I mean, this is well organized crime because these guys, these guys, some of these guys were in law enforcement. Some of the guys that were perpetrating this were in law enforcement. So here's what happened. When this officer survey, did the surveillance and he waited till everybody was gone, he went back and he took the, uh, recording devices, cameras, et cetera, back to the police station and reported to the chief. The cameras had malfunctioned. The, um, the tape recording machines were all, they just had like white noise. Um, somehow this had all been erased or it just, it just wouldn't record for whatever reason. Okay. When he tried to explain this to the chief, the chief believed what he was saying and promised he was going to look further into it. And, um, I don't know. It was shortly after that that the police chief, uh, was murdered. Jesus Christ. And now, now, I'm just taking this gentleman's word for it, but he seemed pretty damn shook up about it. I would be yeah. if I was in that position. And look, that's heavy stuff. That was, well, that see, this is the whole reason why you call it terminate with extreme prejudice. Because when you cross the line with these people, it's not like, hey, we want you to stop, please. You know, once you become a threat to them, they will eliminate you. They will terminate you with extreme prejudice. So mm. when I, you know. I told you this, what started this was a gentleman I'd never met, but he heard about me, asked me if I would help him publish that book. Um, it wasn't well written, but the content was just very compelling. Yeah, it was solid. So that's why I, I insisted, I said, look, I'm not going to help you unless you introduce me to the author because this, you could have just made all this crap up, you know? I mean, uh, so that's how I actually spoke to the officer who had been, he had to retire. I mean, he really did. I would have, I would have run for my life. And apparently he did. And of course they were, they continued to follow him. Oh no. And, and make his life miserable. And when I say them, when they, look, it wasn't just the inner circle of the Masons that was doing this. They're in cahoots with these entities. These satanic practices is not just somebody getting their jollies, torturing kids and animals. They're doing it as a sacrifice, as an offering to these entities to show their, their willingness to do whatever to, you know, it makes, it basically serve their agenda. The uh, satanic Luciferian agenda is very real. And so, um, they take it very seriously. Naturally, this is, this was something I looked at and, you know, ultimately I told those guys both, let's just call him the uh, literary agent, allegedly, and the retired police officer. I told them, there's no way this is going to get published. I can't really go against the powers that be. I mean, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but I said, you know, they're not going to let it happen. I said, besides, if even if you got it out there, most people don't have enough background to realize that this isn't fiction. They're going to think you're making it up. Yeah, they're going to think you're nuts. Oh, well, I mean, look, if you if they had written it as fiction, I think a lot of people like horror story fiction. It sells pretty well. Yeah, it's so popular. It's popular, but you know, the, actually, the most popular genre is romance. Yuck. I know, especially, <laughs> but, and more recently, it's been paranormal romance, including like vampire sex and all Ooh. that crazy. Yeah, that's whatever. That's I awful. mean, look, this is just telling you, I don't, I don't read that crap. I'm just, as an author, I 
I have to know what's going on. What is the trends in the market? Well, of course, for sure. That's, so that's, what I, mm-hmm. that's the only reason I know that. <laughs> I don't read that. Well, stuff. you know a lot about this, Robert. Oh my God. <laughs> Look, Michael, I tell you, I'm telling you, I became one of the leading experts in the field. I don't need a, a freaking medal or, or whatever, a right. UFO researcher or, uh, award or something like that. Um, my reward is knowing that I'm actually reaching a certain amount of people. I mean, really connecting. You, you really them. are. And I think that's why a lot of people do like and respect you, Robert, that because of the way you are, you're uncorrupted. Um, so far, what the thing is, <laughs> we'll see how it goes tomorrow. Cause I have some revelations I'm going to drop on the YouTube audience. Um, and I know it's going to bother a lot of people. I mean, this is, this is a whole nother level of <clears throat> triggering. Well, we're, yeah. We're, we're bothering people now. I know, but this, <laughs> yes, but I think because it's a visual medium, um, I've been trying to use some theatrical things in a way that's going to hopefully make people more, uh, pay more attention. Cause you know, right now everybody is so distracted, Big uh, time, with yeah. their devices, you know, it's hard to keep people's attention and I want, as long as I'm doing it and people are watching to some extent, I'm, I'm trying to take advantage of the medium. I'm not playing games with them. I'm just, you know, the thing is we're conditioned to respond to certain things. I know that. Trigger so, words, right. Yes. So, so I'm not doing it just to be sensational. Although I know a lot of people are just, it, it doesn't matter what I do. There's going to be haters that just, you know, oh, yeah, freak out. That happens. Yeah. So knowing that, uh, I'm not going to, I'm just going to do what I feel is best and tell the rest of, or more of my story and my involvement with, um, Nordics and artificial intelligence and when I was living in Los Angeles. And, um, uh, it's like, uh, when you, I don't know if you ever tune into leak project, but that seems to be where I have the biggest audience right now. And, uh, uh, for whatever reason, so it's give it's going to give me an opportunity to demonstrate something to people that, um, well, it's going to disturb them, but it's necessary. Okay, we need to we we all need to get past some things. I think uh, sometimes you have to, stuff. yeah. Sometimes you have to do that sort of thing. So yeah, there's yeah. a lot of misperceptions, um, and so I, I'm going to try and clear the air. We'll see how that goes. I'm sure there'll be blowback, but whatever. Oh, you can't. You can't win them all. Well, I know I can't please everybody. I'm not even trying to. Yeah. It's better, you know, it's better to just not throw any caution to the wind. <laughs> well, look, I have to, I have to factor in and be respectful of my family. I'm not going to do anything that's reckless, but I do have a right to just tell my story and, yeah. uh, you know, also share some of my research. As long as I'm not accusing people of things d- directly. And I, as long as I'm not trying to um, incite people, you know, that's one of the big problems when when you organize – historically, when humans try to organize, rally around a cause, they're typically inciting each other to do things, giving each other license to commit acts that are very destructive, ultimately. That's one of the reasons I don't belong to any – group or organization, political, philosophical, religious, none of that, because I know they're all easily corrupted. Oh, yes. You sound like me, Robert. Well, I'm, <laughs> look, there's a lot of people that increasingly are feeling that way. I just, it kind of, it. I had to break away 
at an early age in order. When I, I told you, when that thing happened to me, yeah, I, you know, well, it was one of my survival techniques was to realize, actually, I think I'd already started breaking away earlier than that because when I was 13, um, I began traveling. So from age 13 to 15, I was traveling and I went to 57 countries in a very short time. And, and that broke me away from my peer group and even the whole concept of uh, being an American and all that stuff. I, yeah, it kind of broke my paradigm. Well, that's you know, the a good one thing we're though. trying to uh. overlay on me. So, uh, the whole the, school system yeah. and everything, I just, it didn't make sense to me. I, I, I really, yeah, I couldn't integrate <laughs> very well. After having those experiences traveling around, I mean, granted, it's not a whole lot of the world. It sounds like a lot, but it's really, I think there's like almost 200 countries. Uh, and, um, but it, I mean, look, even just recently, I, I moved here to Hong Kong in 2015 and I noticed it has changed me again. Well, of course. How, it, how can it not? Yeah. So, and not, I mean, in a good way, it's yeah, affected it's a positive. positively, mm-hmm. but, uh, I feel so. Uh, but I, I know, as I just said, when I was a teenager, I traveled for two years intensively. As I grow older, there's a time coming where I will travel again. There's a place in Siberia I'd love to go. Um, but there's other places. I'm just saying, I mean, I've been 50, so now I'm at 58 countries. I'm 58 years old, but I know it's coming. I feel it in my bones. I just, it, it's really obvious. There's a sort of a, we have free will, but there's a, there's a lot going on here. A bit of a calling. Well, okay, so the, yeah, the Germans had a phrase for this, uh, Gotterdammrung. It's, it means the, the, the fate of the gods. We've got a lot of in German this, listeners, by the way. Oh, do you have really? Yeah. Oh, Guten Morgen to, to them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Madame and Herren, yes. Uh, good morning. You're going to gain even more German listeners after that one. Um, yeah, I mean, I already have people writing me from all the world, including Germany, et cetera. But yeah, uh, th- so, Anyway, uh, we are all influenced by the fate of the gods because they are above us in, in the hierarchical system here in this particular reality. This simulated reality is controlled very much by them. And, um, um, we're part of these empires that are competing with one another. And, um, so that's what I was trying to say before is that we're, we're kind of caught up in that. Most people are unaware of it. And yes, if it was officially announced that this was going on between these various forces of good and evil, light and dark, truth and lie, yeah, it would probably freak, well, I mean, I'm sure it would freak people out. Right. You know, not everybody, but, you know, most people still, they're, they're under the influence. They really buy the lie. They're brainwashed. That were, well, yeah, I mean, right. And, and honestly, so are the German people. I, it doesn't excuse the behavior, but they were desperate. They'd been manipulated into that. Right. And most of them were, uh, I mean, quite a bit of the population was to, was on meth. It was commonly used. They thought it was like, you know, drinking a cup of coffee. Yeah, that's normal and, for them. Right. So the, but the reason I bring it up is because, um, meth is a, is a, when a person uses meth or cocaine, it, does something to their chakra system that allows them to be more easily manipulated or possessed by these archonic, archontic demonic entities. And this was known. This was known to the secret society. So it was like, it wasn't an accident this happened. And ultimately, you know, look at what America has become since mainly the sixties, but it, it already started all of, most all of our, our, um, the American and British 
soldiers were on amphetamine. Same difference. Any kind of stimulant like that artificially is uh, a way of uh, hacking into the human, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, psycho, what was the word I used? Psycho-spiritual being. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's like breaking down your firewall, giving you a backdoor. Right. To the, to the, right, to the avatar or body. Trojan virus, right. Like that. Yep. And that wasn't the only drug. I mean, heroin was another one that was synthesized out of Germany and, ooh, yeah. Uh, very nasty stuff. I mean, cause opium itself out of the plant is, it's a little bit, well, I mean, that has been around for thousands of years and it didn't really mess people up as badly as heroin and then, um, other opioid type of, I mean, synthesized opiate. It wasn't. Yeah, once it's corrupted it's by man, that's when it gets it gets pretty bad. Like uh, cocaine, the, the leaves are actually health Open. beneficial for us. If you chew us. it, yes, exactly. if you chew it yeah. or you make a tea out of it, correct. But once it, it gets corrupted by man and they start adding all these different chemicals in it, that's when it gets really bad. Yeah, it's the same thing with cannabis. What's happened is they've turned it into frankenweed with this, uh, all these things that they're doing in, in, indoors. Then they take it and they're making so-called synthetic versions like flaca. Those people go nuts. They turn into zombies. They're like, like trying to eat other people and stuff. I mean, it's, <laughs> yes, it's in, really sick. In Florida. Yeah. That was nuts, man. It really is. There was some sort of strange epidemic going on out there with that synthetic uh, marijuana. Uh, yeah, that's allegedly. Well, I don't know what it really is, but now the thing is this elephant tranquilizer that's come into America from China. Hmm. I forget what they call it. Yeah, but anyway, just a tiny bit of that, it's like it'll kill you. Oh, yeah. Definitely would kill you. So, uh oh, before that, it was PCP. That's a horse tranquilizer. Right, and, PCP. You know, mescaline was brought in, too, by the military. I, it's just all this stuff, LSD, mescaline, PCP, all that crap was intentionally done. So it's not just one level of programming. They're doing it, like I said, it's a psycho-spiritual hack job that they're doing on pretty much everybody as much as they can. Yeah, all of these things definitely alter your behavior and your perception of everything around you. And it, all all of these sort of things have been used since the dawn of time to control man. And it, it's really awful, um, especially in the Book of the Dead. I always refer to that. That's when you... Kind of got a glimpse of that people being well, controlled. That's, yeah, but they used right. But I, my understanding, because I've I read that book years ago. I mean, when I was a kid, actually. But it, they, they yes, they use certain substances. But it what is to induce an out of body experience that was typical, and all that was doing is helping that individual come to a realization or preparation that they were uh, more than a physical body, and at some point they would leave that body behind. So I don't see that there was – I don't think it was like a drug abuse thing. For, it was more of a, an initiatory right. Understood. And I, I did want to get your opinion really quickly on abduction cases. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the classic abduction cases that we hear about so often, uh, what, what exactly is your opinion on that? We never really had that discussion. Do you think some of these individuals who are more popular than others uh, are, I guess you could say, legit or do you think they're adding a little bit of, you know, a little extra on that story? Yeah, I'm sure there's some truth and some lies. Uh, you know, the thing about Betty and Barney Hill was the first one that really got notoriety was that, uh, Barney was adamant that they look like Nazis. Uh, and mm. I think he was right. I do think that some of them were, uh, or are based on my experience and also the research after the fact, after my experiences. 
so yeah, I, I but you know the thing about abduction is it's kind of a misleading term in that um when a person is abducted by another human, they um they're not returned unless there was a ransom paid. Right. Usually. There's a reason for you when you abduct someone, you know, they're either being sexually abused or held for ransom. But these people are all returned uh, if you believe their stories are accurate, um most all these people are returned in fairly intact and there's there's no questions asked by anybody. Um however, there are we know there are a lot of people that go missing. The numbers are very vague because some of them are found. But generally speaking, there are a huge number of people that go missing around the planet every year. If you want to look it up, check it out. The most the most intriguing study that's ever been done in that's out in the uh, mainstream or the public record is uh David's what's his name? The four one one guy. Um oh man. It, it's not David Sarita, is it? David Sarita? No, 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 no I'm thinking think somebody so. else. Okay, what yeah. was the name of the guy that did the Missing 411. Have you, are you, hold on. Oh, I, I think, got yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. Okay. I, I got to get his name now since I mentioned it. Otherwise people won't understand. Yeah. I think he does. I think he does uh, plenty of interviews about missing. Yeah. People, yeah. Yeah. Right? But I, I want to get his name right. Um, oh God. Author, author. What's his name? David Polites. Polites. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Sorry. I, I was confusing with somebody else and, uh, I shouldn't do that. It's all right. It yeah. happens. So, well, here, here we're going to go again. This is a retired police officer investigating where these missing people are going. And he's been very cautious not to say who he thinks are, is perpetrating these abductions. These are then now that classifies as an abduction. When somebody goes missing, someone goes missing and they're typically never returned or an area will be searched just by number of people over a period of time. And then like suddenly the body will just appear. In the same place has been searched by multiple people multiple times. The body just boom, there it is, and it's in a way that is completely incomprehensible, incomprehensible to standard law enforcement procedure. It doesn't fit. The is what I'm saying. These these things are so out of place. The other thing he noted was that these they're happening uh, for whatever reason. He's focused on the fact that they happen at a, a much higher frequency or rate in the. Uh, State park, no, national parks. Yeah, David Polites, I think that's his name. David Polites, yep. So, or you could just Google missing 411 if anybody's interested. I think pretty much everybody in this audience would know it by now, but just telling you, uh, David came across this fairly recently, you know, and he's been very public about it. And in fact, the, the re most recent book, he actually started just to, to open up a little bit about something and I'll just relate it to you very briefly and in, in that it was John McAvee uh in a minute who's Bruce Caesar sorry Bruce McAvee the guy who uh does all that you know the optical physicist who's been studying UFOs for years yeah I've interviewed him once okay so he's formerly with the navy he lives in Silver Spring Maryland he's been he's worked for the government but he's you know he seems like he's trying to help somewhat his wife was almost abducted when she was bow hunting with some friends and she was up in a blind, meaning that she was up a tree in a place that would camouflage her from uh, wildlife seeing her or smelling her. And she was stalked by something that we would typically identify from the movie Predator. The invisibility that, oh, that the, yeah, you the know, cloak. optical stealth. 
Right. And uh, sorry. Oh, I said right. Yeah, the, that cloak, uh, that device, whatever that the right. predator was using there in the movie. There was something up in the trees with her that was moving around, and it caused an extreme stillness in the air and silence. And she knew that she was in trouble, and she started take, trying to take pictures with her cell phone. And it caught an it caught something that it shouldn't have or couldn't have if you just go by the standard metric of photography. That got her husband very well. It caught all of his attention because first of all, it's his wife. Second of all, photography has been his life. Yeah, I've never heard. He's not one of the best, by the way. Mm-hmm. He's not one of the best. He's more old school. Very he's old not school. A, yeah, he's not up to date with the new stuff. But anyway, um, so so David Polites was willing to at least admit that that's a possibility that a predator type of entity really could be responsible because if it has those kind of capabilities of optical stealth or even suppressing all kinds of audio and it's big, you know, a big strong entity like that, like what we saw in the movie right. Predator, yeah, it could actually snatch people children, adults, uh, without a trace, pretty much. I don't know how it doesn't leave footprints. That's that's pretty amazing. I, I've, never heard, I've never heard this before. Yeah, well, that was his latest book about hunters that have gone missing. Fortunately, uh, Bruce McAvee's wife wasn't. Something happened, and it decided not to try and grab her. At, but it was She felt like she was going to be grabbed by something. She She thought it was a wild animal. She wasn't thinking predator. It was only later when they were talking about it. And then, and I think somebody said, did it look anything like this? And they, she, they showed her a clip from the movie and she, she started having a panic attack. Oh, wow. Because it was so similar. <laughs> yeah. You know, he never, and, he never told that story on the air. Oh, no, 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 no way. No. Well, first of all, it didn't happen to him. Second of all, David Pilates is the one that's handling this. Bruce doesn't know anything about that stuff. I mean, he knows it happened, but, um, Look, he's an old guy at this point. He's really old school. Yeah, he was and old when he, I interviewed him. Yeah, so so he's having a hard time with certain things. I know that because he he interacted with uh, Mr. Allen about the Washington D.C. photos. So right. I've heard things direct. I mean, not hearsay, but literally seen. He tried to. I I know he's he's not happy about no, of some course. of the stuff. He feels compelled not to ever talk about because you know, again, he's. I'm sure he's collecting a pension from the Navy. And uh, although he did work with NICAP out of Washington, D.C., which was allegedly a civilian agency. But you had people like uh, Rear Admiral uh, Helen Cotter, who was the first head of the CIA, who was, you know, on he was on the team. And then you had Bruce McAbee, Navy. Then you had um, Major Donald Kehoe, Marines. So once again, hey, Tom DeLong, wake up, dude. You're not the first to have a team of retired military people come together and try and uh, share information with the public. And in fact, Major Kehoe was a, was a very eloquent spokesperson with the media. That's on. You can see that. You can read it. You can see it. He tried, but the media wouldn't cooperate because they were ordered not to. He had plenty of evidence. It makes that stuff in that stupid stuff that they released recently. I mean, honestly, they've had gun footage, cam, uh, gun camera footage yes. from military aircraft since the 40s and 50s. And we're, t- I'm not talking about really crappy, like, cameras. We're, they, military, especially Air Force, has always had super high speed cameras. 
ridiculous how fast those cameras are. So they'd have to be if you're on a think about it. If you're in a dogfight or you're doing surveillance uh, over an area, you you better have some damn good cameras. Yeah, that's that's another thing. That footage was a little odd to me too. It's very nondescript, man. I mean, yeah, okay, it's unidentified. Now what? Yeah. It looks like a Tic Tac. Well, that doesn't tell me anything. It darted away at a high rate of speed. Again, you're not telling me anything that it, that hasn't already been in the public record for decades. I know, right? That's that's true. The problem is, Michael, most people don't know that because they don't see they've, like you said, they're programmed not to respond because it doesn't affect their bottom line, which is how am I going to get through the day? How am I going to pay my bills this month? You know, because yeah. I'm one paycheck away from being freaking homeless. Okay. Don't bother me with that crap. Yeah, that's the mindset. It, but it's a big mindset for most people, and I'm not disparaging them. Please understand me. I really sympathize with people that are in that situation because that's most Americans of now. Of course, right. Mid- the middle class has been decimated. You know, I was fortunate to grow up. I was born in 59, so I grew up during the 60s and 70s, and, and there was still a fairly good middle class. And I lived a middle class existence in America, which compared to most people on the planet is is a very high standard of living. It's not perfect, but it was a very high standard of living. I, I only know that now in retrospect. Well, actually, when I started traveling as a teenager, I started to see it. It, it, it really opened my eyes painfully. Yeah. You know, most people on the planet live. It's, it isn't pretty. It isn't pretty at all. Honestly, I think this entire planet's a shithole, to tell you the truth. Oh, it Gee. is. Compared to what it could be or was in the past, at least at one point, I do think it was a paradise planet. It certainly has a potential like any other planet. It has the potential to be something beautiful and peaceful and loving and symbiotic, you know. But it this is the direction we've been dragged into for whatever reason. Man is wolf to man is what I've learned. Oh, I don't know. I think that we, like I said, it didn't have to be like that. And It, it doesn't, I, but not, that's, that's not, the nature of what we exist in today because people are not consciously awoken, in my opinion. People are like people like backtracking to people being brainwashed. It's just that's how people are programmed nowadays and forever. It seems it's going to be that way. Um, It just seems that way. Here's something you need to understand. About 13, 14,000 years ago, whatever hit this planet and caused what some people call it the Great Flood, if you look at it religiously. Other, sci- other scientific people would say it was the Younger Dryas event. It wiped out over 95% of all humanity. Okay, let's let's go with that. Then how do we get the diversity and the numbers we have now of 7 billion and counting? Not to mention all the various races. It couldn't be from one family. It couldn't. So something's not right here. We are not being told. That's the other thing. We are not allowed to know the entire true history of the various uh, groups that have colonized or attempted to colonize this world over the entire history of the planet. But more importantly, this whatever caused the extinction level event, it opened the door for a whole new uh, type of colonization and and civilization. Or, I mean, it's not really very civilized, but I'm just saying that the, the, the various civilizations that have risen and fallen here right. have all been very warlike in the recent past. I'm not sure it was always. In fact, I'm, I can't believe it was like this the entire time. But who knows? We can't get access to all that stuff. Yeah, most of our human origins seem to be a bit of a mystery still. 
Well, I mean, it depends who you talk to. Other people say, no, no, modern academia has figured it all out. It's all in the book, you know. I mean, what are you talking about? We, we've risen from apes. And uh, right. it's all evolution, and we're all here alone, and we're just we're just bad actors. Yeah, I don't really buy that. No, 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 I, I can't buy it either. I mean, and of course, in religious writings, not just Christianity, but this whole concept of good and evil seems like foundational. It's 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 everywhere. That is definitely a factor in. Again, it's not an excuse, all right. Like I was saying about the Germans mm-hmm. being dragged into that direction. A lot of them were desperate, so they wasn't just the drugs. Financially, they'd been ruined after World War One. The Versailles Treaty just crippled them it, financially, economically. They were ruined, so that was what made the conditions right for uh, the Nazi Party to come to power. Because nobody would have come with that. It's not like they. By the way, they didn't just start off just gassing people. They started off by improving the infrastructure and giving people, making sure that people were not uh, suffering as much. You know, reducing the amount of homeless, etc. So um, they did some good for the country, but the ultimate the, the the ultimate outcome was horrendous. Right. And before we go on to a different topic, I, I did want to ask you a little bit about the whole massacre in Las Vegas. I know you've been really into that, but before we even, we'll save that for the end. But okay. you sent me a very interesting PDF, which I actually, I was a little surprised about it because it's it's been a number of years since I've heard it, the Thea Uba prophecy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, a lot of people don't even know about this. Right. And I randomly, I think it might have been a guest or a listener who was telling me about it years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's always been a, a really interesting story that many people in the UFO circles or inner communities don't ever touch on. Well, there's a lot of contactee stories like that out there. And um, again, this is something, you know, the whole field in general is deemed not credible. So, um, there's no way, and plus, even the, his alleged contacts with these these advanced, spiritually advanced uh, beings, uh, they didn't want to give him any quote unquote proof, right? Because I'm sure if they had, his life would have been turned upside down, probably threatened, his family would have suffered, uh, the the so-called proof would have been confiscated or destroyed, because um, that's just the level of control that goes on here. Um, you remember also too, he said that there were things he, he, he promised he wouldn't talk about. Yeah. That was revealed to him. Yeah. And that would be the conflict that's going on here. It has been raging for some time. So it's, we've never been left to our own devices. We've always been watched. There's always been levels of interaction. Some of it is benevolent and some of it is malevolent and it makes things very complicated to sort through it. So Tia Uba contact, interesting. Yeah, uh, some of that I can see very much happening. Um, and I appreciate that they were trying to give him some insights about the alleged true history of this world. Um, there's a lot of different accounts people have come forward with, you know, what really happened. But none of that stuff can be substantiated or validated. It just doesn't – it isn't happening. So I I shared that book because it was sent to me. I was already aware of it, but it was sent to me again last year. Somebody huh. said, what's your thoughts? Okay, so now I'm forced to think about it. The only way I can do that is is to read it. 
and it took me a while to get around to reading it. But once I did, I thought, yeah, here's an example of what uh, a pl- our planet could be like if we if we choose to make it so. And yes, there's they. I'm I know there's other beings here that would would help us if we make that choice. Um, but people are so conditioned here. I don't know how that's going to happen. Really, um, we could reach a tipping point. We could. I'm not going to give up. I, I just I'm just being realistic about it all. That's a that's a huge right. undertaking, you know. Just because the conditioning has been so good for so long. I mean, as far as it's very effective, they have really taken an extreme amount of time and effort into turning us into sheeple. Yeah, they've done a good job. Yeah. So. Again, this is another reason why we're not being told. It's not all a bunch of satanic, devil worshiping, whatever. You know, it, there's, there are these benevolent beings that if the government or the Vatican were to disclose or let us see that, that whole reality or better yet, allow us to have an open interaction. Can you imagine what that would be like? Uh, having an open interaction with somebody from Tia Uba on like, um, oh, I don't know, a, a webcast. At wild. this point, people don't trust the media. If if they showed up on the mainstream media, people would just think they're being screwed with. Yeah, it, it, it's weird, but that's what it's come down to. Citizen journalism is is actually has more credibility up to a point. So, um, but yeah, if we could actually get an extraterrestrial, a benevolent extraterrestrial to to give Grant an interview, that would be a good first step, and then that would hopefully lead to like a um. Oh, a peaceful landing where they could uh, demonstrate some things, their benevolence to us and their intent and ultimately artifacts and other things that would, you know, because you have to vet these things. You can't just take their word for it. Like I said, we've been lied to for so long. It's like I'm expecting <laughs> that, that, that if something like that were to happen, it would probably be under false pretenses to further the, their agenda to keep us enslaved. Like, oh, my God, it's a savior. Let's worship them. Let's right. do whatever they say. And if they go along with that and they, if if they're like, yeah, you should do that, you know, we're here to save you. Oh, no, I would be the first person to say bullshit, you know, prove it. Who are you, really? <laughs> no, I agree, yeah. And, uh, by the way, one other name I, I forgot to mention is yeah. uh, Travis Walton. Oh, yeah. Well, how do you feel about him? I had a chance to speak to him, but I let it pass. Yeah, well, um, I don't know him, but I, one of the human extraterrestrial Nordics that I've made friends with here um, told me that he is friends with the people that were on board that ship. Oh. And that tra- Travis stupidly stood up and ran over and wanted to touch the craft and got electrocuted. <laughs> That's and, funny. Well, I mean, I don't, look – Things happen in the heat of the moment. He he did jump out of the truck, by the way, to get closer. He ran away from the truck when his friends were telling him, no, no, no. He jumped out, ran over there, got close, and then that, that for whatever reason, he wanted to actually – he got too close and was electrocuted, had a heart attack. So naturally, the beings that were on board were felt uh, responsible to some degree – and they, that's why they took him on board and proceeded to, uh, give him medical assistance and ultimately, uh, stabilized him. Uh, in a way, you know, it took, that's one, another reason he was gone for a while. He was in bad shape. I mean, I guess clinically he, he was dead. And that makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, and he's actually talked to other – I've heard anyway that he's actually admitted this to other people quietly. But, you know, when Hollywood got a hold of it and they made that movie, Fire in the Sky, it it just further muddied the waters and, yeah. uh, you know, messed with people's minds. So I think he's just pretty quiet about it now because what are you going to do? Yeah, he was abducted. That's a, Again, that's a really weird term. It kind of Cause, is, yeah. Because he was returned unharmed. Considering what had happened to him, uh, I, I wouldn't call that abduction. I mean, it's like if an ambulance comes and takes you to a hospital, is that an abduction? If they let you go, release you in two days? That's, right. That's I, I wouldn't call it that. They borrowed him for a little. Okay. Well, they didn't really need him. They just felt responsible. I mean, this is this is the most logical explanation I've ever heard, and it's not discussed publicly or I should say even in the so-called UFO community. Right. No, I've never heard anybody talk about it that way. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so, yeah, a lot of confusion, a lot of oh, misunderstanding. Yeah. By the way, Robert, how is the media over there in your side of the island? It's okay. I mean, it's very controlled here. Uh, last year, the Chinese government came across the border, and uh, and they really did abduct oh. a a book publisher because they didn't like what he was publishing. Oh man, and they, they could do that. They yes, oh yes, they can, and they they held him um, for a period of time, and then they you know I don't know how they treated him, but he was held incommunicado, and then naturally his family were freaking out. And then they released him, and they said, don't do it again, because next time we're not going to bring – we're not, not going to let you out. Damn. It's going to be the end of you, okay? So we're, they they put the fear of God in him. I don't think he's publishing <laughs> those books anymore. So you got to watch it. Uh, this isn't a British colony anymore. Um, and uh, I'm I'm not allowed to go in at this point. I might, I'm, I'm in Hong Kong. And I have a visa for Hong Kong, but that's not the same. I would need to get a separate visa to go into mainland China. And I applied for that and was rejected. I found out later they don't like journalists. Didn't know that. I guess I should have. Well, whatever. I put it down. I, you know, what they said, what do you do professionally? And I told them. So, uh, red flag for them. Yeah. They just said, try again later. <laughs> yeah. They, you know, well, okay. So. If I really want to make an issue out of it, I know how I could do it, but it's not that important to me. And they honestly have nothing to fear from me. In fact, um, my wife is Chinese. So, uh, and I have a deep respect for their culture. culture. Right. And, and more importantly, I understand it. I accept it for what it is. I'm not trying to hijack it or embarrass them because I know that's a big thing in, in their culture is what they call saving face. You don't, you don't, do anything. I mean, it's a really big deal if you embarrass somebody or cause them to have shame because it's not just them. It's their entire family you're bringing shame to. It's like there's this honor thing. Yeah. Uh, it used to be if somebody was shamed publicly in America, that was a big deal. Never as big a deal as it is here. But anyway, right. uh, the thing I, I've come to understand, too, is this America has projected its military presence all the way across the Pacific into Vietnam. The Philippines, Japan. Now, do you think, and Korea. So do you think that would make China just a little bit upset? Of course. So I think they have a right to do what they're doing to some degree. I don't know that it's always the right thing to do. Um, but, uh, if I was them, I would be pretty damn upset. Honestly, you know, and the thing is we helped them during World War II against the Japanese and they know it. Yeah. That's but, true. but what we, but after World War II, 
when we entered Korea, they felt compelled to push us out, or and which they did. But we've never left, did we? We only left North Korea. We stayed in South Korea. That's true. And, and we were we had a huge base in the Philippines until the volcano blew up, Pinatubo blew up and buried the base. So they left that alone. But Japan is a huge military base for the U.S. And then there's Guam, and there's Hawaii. But the most nasty stuff that we have, as far as I know, is um, in the Marshall Islands. That's where the, that's the controls, command and control center for the really high tech stuff is there. Most people don't talk about it. It's, it's heavy. What, what little I've been told about it. It's, it's, it's not your average standard, whatever, but that was one of the things that we acquired by force during World War II. Understood. Now, one last topic before we get rolling here. I don't want to take up yeah. too much of your time. <laughs> Even though I, I could talk to you for hours, but. Yeah, no, you, you've got a really nice voice, Michael. Are you, do you work in broadcasting at all? Well, you know, I, I, I flirted with the idea and, um, I try to get a few local gigs out here, but they, yeah. after a while, you know, we go to a meeting and they listen to some of my stuff and they come back into the room and they look like I, I murdered someone. Well, so, they probably don't like the subject matter. Probably but you not. Do you have a really great radio voice. I, I'm very sensitive to, I don't know why, but I study people's voices because I can read a lot into it. And uh, you just, you have a very pleasant voice and you seem like a very honest, straightforward person. Maybe a little too honest. I get in trouble. Yeah, often. for the media. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, I don't hold back. I'm pretty unfiltered. And I, I think yeah, that's cost a, a lot. Okay, your delivery. I'm just saying, okay, look, there's a certain tenor or um, color to people's voices. You know, and you just have that kind of, I would say, you have a very, very distinct and pleasant radio voice. Well, well, thank you for that. I'm definitely trying to get my foot back into that door. Um, also, I'm interested in doing voiceover work. Yeah, you could definitely do that, man. Oh, I would love Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I, I don't really think about it too much, but yes, I could see you doing that or I could hear that happening. Uh, it would be awesome if I could get on some sort of syndicated uh, show. That's like five grand an episode. You mean, uh, the total cost to pay you or what do you, I'm sorry, you lost oh, well, how much? I, you know, when you, when you're on one of these shows and it's syndicated, every time uh, they air that specific episode that you're featuring, oh, that's like five, five grand in your pocket. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Money that yeah. I don't have. <laughs> so of course you know i would love to do that but it's very difficult to get into Why any not? of these fields nowadays especially radio uh, you kind of have to know someone nowadays it's just mm -hmm. that's that's just the way the the business goes but uh you know i like doing what i do here it's fun but sure. I, i'd like to get paid a little bit more but yes uh, did th you thank, study, you, thank you by the you way for that did you study journalism no i just I, I grew up listening to radio and being uh, obsessed okay. with it, so. Okay, me too. All right. So, yeah, you do, because I'm, because I, this is what I'm hearing from you, is something very polished, very professional, and your delivery is, it, it's not just your voice, it's your manners and your style. It sounds like a professional broadcaster to me. I'm a bit of a throwback, that's true. <laughs> I'm not even, I'm not that old, but I mean, you yeah, know, yeah. I, I've studied, I've studied all, I studied all the greats. Um. Let's see. Okay, so in Los Angeles, there was Ray Bream, somebody I liked a lot. I actually used to call in. And George, uh, oh, God, it'll come to me when I'm not thinking about it. 
But yeah, I used to listen to the, all the talk radio when it first came on. Even before that, I was always fascinated with radio. Um, darn it. So, you know, the other thing is I actually was the first person in the media who was allowed to be the extraterrestrial correspondent on mainstream radio drive time news. Really? Yeah. I know that. that, that was, I, I know most people don't because it was very early drive time and, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was called America's Morning News. That was killed off and then has reborn it's been reborn it's a, it's a completely different entity using the diff, the same name i don't know why but um uh it was the talk radio network out of oregon that was running it but it was stationed in washington dc and um i'll send you the link to the archive yeah, that i ahead. created of those yeah the, cool. of those clips because i did it for an entire year and they interviewed me a couple times for my about my book. They liked the book so much, and they liked my inner my willingness to interact with them as a. I already knew that they were going to make some fun of it, and I told the producer it's okay, you know, as long as we get the information out there. I understand, you know, your hands are tied. You can't make this too credible. But uh, and so because I was willing to work with them, they 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 said, hey, we want to make you our. <laughs> Uh, our extraterrestrial correspondent every Friday morning. We want, we're going to do this thing, you know. That's amazing, by the way. Yeah, it is. And I, I mean, uh, it's, I didn't, I, I helped them get ratings. I know they told me, there's like, oh man, you, you know, you're actually boosting our ratings. That's the only reason that they wanted to keep me on there. But, um, I that's not it. why I was doing it. Yeah, I, I believe that. I mean, but I, radio is we were having, terrible it's in the funny. morning. Yeah, it's boring. I know, especially straight news. It's like, oh crap. It's mostly bad news. It's very, yeah. Yeah, morning depressing. drive, morning drive stinks. Uh, that's true. Usually, or they're trying to be very salacious or inflammatory or whatever. And we were just actually laughing. Everybody was me and two other people, usually a man and a, actually it was always a man and a woman. 90% of the time it was, it was a man and a woman anchor out of Washington. They were affiliated with the Washington Times because John McCaslin, I believe, had worked for the Washington Times or was working as a reporter journalist for the Washington Times, but he was the lead anchor for America's Morning News. Coincidentally, his father was a career FBI agent and had served with, you know, J. Edgar Hoover and stuff. He was, this guy was a no-nonsense guy, worked in D.C. his entire life. John grew up there. Mm -hmm. So when he got a copy of my book, uh, my first book, uh, Close Encounters on Capitol Hill, he freaked out. He's like, what is this? He's like, I grew up here, man. I, know, I didn't know this was going on. He absolutely, and then he showed it to his dad, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what else he is new? Yeah, yeah, it's like to him, <laughs> like, yes, okay, you know, you figured it out. And so, but, yeah, they they really, really treated me very well. Uh, it was good promotion for the book, but it, ultimately it didn't it didn't get the traction I was looking for. I got I kind of got bored about after a year, and I went off and I started my own radio show I was producing, and it was a nightmare. I used Blog oh, Talk no. and it was a freaking nightmare. Blog, blog Talk is, still, yeah, it sucks. That's awful. That's true. It's horrible. It's horrible. And so I, then a friend of mine who used to work, well, he was, we don't know exactly what his role was. Anybody that says, I worked at the State Department, that's usually code for something else. Um, uh, <laughs> but anyway, he, yeah, he worked, for, he was working for the State Department for a number of years. He started his own radio show slash streaming radio station. Hmm. And he and I got to, he actually was the first person I felt 
that understood the level of uh, uh, work and and the, uh, the okay the implications of it from law enforcement perspective because he worked law enforcement for the State Department internationally okay whatever that means he he had that kind of mindset as a this is a violation of law that's how I looked at it that's how he looked at it when he read my book this is a very intelligent guy very patriotic and so we had a really interesting rapport when I, we got talking he's like oh Robert I can show you how you can do your own thing. So I foolishly thought that would be easy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, I spent most of 2012 doing that. And, um, so anyway, I know I, I how hard I, it is to produce a show. I think I might have heard one of your shows, actually. Yeah. And the guy, well, probably it's out there. I mean, I yeah. probably should just put them all on YouTube. You but, should. Um, you should. Yeah. It's kind of a, kind of a hassle. I'll do it someday. Yeah, the, it's a pain in the, the ass, is, but I, I think, <laughs> I think you'd like it. The, the individual who uh, does the intro to to that show, I called it the Unicus Radio Hour. That is Jerry Wills, and he claims that he was brought here as a as a toddler by the uh, n- these you know Nordic extraterrestrial beings uh, interacting with our government covertly back in the fifties. He was brought here. Um, I pu- I had published a story. It's it's out there. In fact, I met him on the set of uh, NBC's show called The Other Side at uh, NBC Studios in uh, Burbank. Yeah, The Other Side. I remember that. Yeah, so we were on that show. I mean, my wife and I were on that show a couple times, and that's how I met Jerry. And, uh, you know, we're still friends. But bottom line is he's <laughs> he's the voice announcing, the, uh, you know, giving the intro. And um, Ah, I see. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, we, we had some fun. I've had fun doing this, but there's always a little bit more going on behind the scenes if you know how to read into it. Oh, yes. There always is. But it seems like you had a great time doing it. Yeah. I mean, when everything functioned properly, um, uh, yeah, it was a bit maddening, but yeah, ultimately, um, I just felt like that, you know, I'd done enough in that field uh, and that there was, I needed to, focus on something else and because my son was still going to school at the time he really needed me he was in high school and uh those are some tough years so i i kind of stopped doing that but um where's your son now robert if you don't mind me asking he, he, yeah he's graduated he he lives with us and uh oh, okay. he's producing yeah, yeah he produces uh electronic dance music is what he's working on right now that's really popular i know i know it's not my style, but he's really good at it. So. It's not mine either. It sounds like two fax machines uh, doing something <laughs> naughty. You know what I mean? Yes, there's a lot. It's very... Yeah, I'm not no. Yeah, I'm not with it. It's not my style. You know, all this sort of music was actually already invented many, many moons ago. Uh-huh. And everything just comes full circle all the time. Oh, yeah, it does. It's a format. I, it's just, yeah. it's just not my thing. I, I'm not, more not, it's not our cup of tea, in other words. Yeah, I'm starting to feel like an old guy now. Ah, don't just... worry. You're, you're not that old. Come on now, Robert. <laughs> no, no. I'm okay. But I'm just saying it's weird, you know. At generations, every generation goes, ah, oh, those young people. <laughs> Get off my lawn. I know, right? <laughs> oh, by the way, one name that I, I forgot to mention who was yeah. always a bit of an influence for me was, of course, Vince Scully. Um, great voice. He, of course, is yeah. The voice I listened for, to that. I was yeah. a Dodgers fan. Yeah, right. I grew up with. The, mm-hmm. You know, I could listen to that guy for hours too. Anything, well, you'd have to. The games were really long. But anything he said was just interesting. 
It was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was a really good sto- storyteller. He because I could mo- everything was he was completely authentic. Very really interesting was. guy. Yeah, yeah, I like that guy a lot. He's he's up there in age now. I think he's about ninety. Is he still around? Really? I think so. I think he's still alive. I didn't add him to my celebrity death pool, so I think he's still alive. Oh, George Putnam, that's the guy I'm trying to think of. He was a legend in Los Angeles for many years. Yes, uh, he was right. Daytime, daytime, and he actually mm-hmm. was taking calls. Uh, spoke to him a couple times. Ray Bream was much more interesting. He's far more intellectual guy, not as political. Um, he did, he did something called the word of the day because he, he had a really, he pretty advanced vocabulary from compared to most people because he liked to read a lot. So if you, right. if you, if you figure out the word of the day. So I, I called in one day and I told him, I said, I've invented a new word. Ah, you must like that. I said, <laughs> it's spoken fluently in Washington D.C. It's called excremento, and it, <laughs> at, first, good. at first it was this silence. Like, what? Did you just curse on the air? He's like trying to think. Is it, should I believe it? You're gonna it's hit like, the dump button on you there. <laughs> so I snuck that in on him. But That's yeah, pretty good. That's it was really fun. Good. Yeah. He's, he's another guy that lived in Malibu. Uh, yeah. But and yes. that's what I'm working on. Sorry mm-hmm. if you, I interrupt, but I, I'm okay. actually still doing this expose. It's it's really hard to write about. I I kind of know how I ended up doing this, but um, sort of like w- what I did for Washington D.C., much like what I did for Washington, the, his, the hidden history of Washington D.C. That's what I'm working on for Malibu, and it's just it's just too much. Is honestly the the level of information I'm trying to just I am having to <laughs> sift through it, and uh, there's a lot, yeah. Still, it's, it's, look, what I said about the Skinwalker Ranch, everybody who's interested in this stuff knows Skinwalker Ranch is not someplace you'd want to hang out. Right. I mean, you certainly want to live there, let alone just even hang out for one night and encounter any of those creepy things that comes out of the portal there. Unfortunately, Malibu is the same way. I, I mean, there's a lot of portals like that around the world. It shouldn't come as a surprise, but most people, that's the last thing they think of. Because of the way the media portrays it, Hollywood, it's like there, and it, it is an extension of Hollywood. I should say historically, that's what it became over time. However, I really feel like those entities, uh, attracted people to Hollywood and then ultimately to Malibu to serve a purpose, which is to just mess with our minds. Right. And of course, you've lived in Malibu for a very long time. Yeah, I grew up there. Right. But I didn't understand it until fully. Because that's where I met Enki, uh, and uh, it had all kinds of weird experiences. Then I realized, wait a minute, it's not just me. There's a lot of other people, and it's this is not a good place to live. Uh, considering how many suicides, I think I I knew eight people that killed themselves. I, I mean, some of them were very much closer to me than others, but I mean, it's a small town, so yeah, I personally knew eight. I think it was like eight people, which I thought was extraordinarily high. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, that is pretty high. Um. Uh, and especially when the one guy who, who hung, sorry, he hung himself and came to me in, while I was sleeping in an astral, he came to me and literally took me up to the mountains where he had hung himself. I didn't know this at the time in the dream. All I know is well, the way it happened was I, I was with him in a dream up in the mountains, very close to where that thing with Enki happened. And um he... He and I were there, and there was other people looking at a distance, or a group of them standing off on a distance up on a cliff, and he and I were down in this area that I recognized. It was sort of a hangout. 
It was a place you could jump into a water hole. Right. Dive into. But it was also like because it was one of the only water sources all year round. That was where, and there was caves there. That's where the, that's where the last mountain lions lived. And as we we're there, suddenly a mountain lion, uh, came out of one of these caves and grabbed me by the arm and drug me in. And I woke up in a, just in a panic. Oh yeah. And then later that morning, my mother called me and said, your friend's missing. I won't say his name. He's missing. And she said, he, you know, they fed, his car was parked and she told me exactly where in the mountains. I'm like, Oh God. Oh no. Yeah. He's been, I thought, I thought he'd been uh, attacked by a mountain lion while he was mountain biking in that area. Right. Well, so naturally I called the cops and I'm not, I mean, I called the emergency. It's part of the police department. I called the emergency search and rescue team and I spoke to, I spoke to an officer and I told him, I said, look, I knew, I know this guy. I grew up with him and I said, I, I know where he went. I think I know where he went because I, I had, had a weird dream last night and I said, I think he was attacked by a mountain lion. And if that's the case and it was, <clears throat> it drug him into a, um, a cave. You're not, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to, you, you're not going to see him from the air. Even with the forward looking infrared radar, you're not going to, there's no, gonna, not going to be a heat signature. That's what I'm just telling him, you know? Uh, and then right. like a day later or so, his wife called me and said, Oh, we found him. Thank you for helping. And then the next thing I know, That's like about wild. a few weeks, so I got to finish the story. Otherwise people are going to wonder what I'm yeah, rambling about. So. A few weeks later, I got a call from his wife again, and she, I didn't know her very well. But she somehow she had my number. I think she got it from the police. Um, they, every time you call the police or any agency, they they record your everything. So she says um, we're having a, a service at the church in Malibu Canyon, and we'd like you to come. And so I did, and I was still thinking that he'd been killed by a mountain lion, and um. When I walked in there, it was just really, you know, weird because I've seen people I haven't seen in years. My neighbors, my neighbors, my peer group, like I said, I'm not really close with the people I grew up with because I just went off on a, on a tangent. Right. So, um, I got up there and I spoke about him a bit and addressed the, the family there. And because <laughs> they just said, you know, anybody wants to say something, go for it. And, um, I was still not understanding what had happened. And, uh, and then afterwards, one of my neighbors came up to me and we were talking and he goes, and I said, yeah, it's too bad. A mountain lion. And he goes, what are you talking about, Robert? <laughs> he hung himself. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I swear to God, I thought I was going to pass out. I felt, I felt like something so oppressive come over me. And, and, and I'm, and then, uh, Oh no. Okay. I know why he told me because just prior to that, what had happened? The police officer came up to me and he says, hi, hey, I'm so-and-so. I spoke to you on the phone about your friend and I'm really sorry. You know, we did everything we could to try and get to him. And I said, no, that's okay. I appreciate it. Uh, I totally understand. And I said, and then I said something he's about the mountain lions. And he looked at me really weird. And and that's when a friend and one of my neighbors came over and he started talking and I go, hey, well, so I said something and he, and, and they both were looking at me really weird. So I said to the officer, I said, so what happened? He goes, I, I'm sorry. I can't tell you. Mm. I'm not permitted to legally. They're not, they, they can't do that. Right. And, and, but he was looking really concerned and I'm like, okay, now I'm really thinking what the hell's going on here. So I turned to my friend and I said, what the F is going on, man? Tell me 
what happened? He goes, you don't know? And I said, yeah, I thought I thought he was you know, a mountain lion. He's like, no, man, he hung himself. I'm like, holy crap. God, what? You know, it's because there you go again. And then, so at the time, I really was thinking I didn't know about the Archon yeah, agenda. That's a gruesome, gruesome way to go. Well, yeah, because of the uh, the impact it had on his family and friends, man. We that were all too. devastated. Yeah. Which is what they want, naturally. So, but I could feel there was a presence there. Part of it I could feel was my friend because, like I said, now this was getting really personal. This guy came to me. His spirit came to me and was trying to tell me something. He needed help. Okay, I can't. I, Sounds I like it, man. I can't tell you any more of this. Um, but, okay, I got to finish this. Yeah, go ahead. As I, can. as I, everybody left, and I'm standing there looking up at this big projected picture of my friend's face, and he's smiling, and he's looking all happy, just like I always remember. He's a really, he had a unique personality. Right. And, um. And I was just having this feeling like, you know, part of him was, obviously, you don't do that unless you're really distressed. And uh, I think unresolved uh, and like ghosting the place and because uh, uh, he hadn't been buried yet. And so anyway, I walked out. I, oh, I remember getting so angry. I didn't pass out. I'm looking at my friend and I promised him, I said, what, whoever, whatever. At this point, I, like I said, I was already starting, I'd, I'd been doing quite a bit of research, but I didn't, I didn't fully understand what's happening. I just I knew that he was pushed into that. That's what my felt, my gut feeling was telling me. He, he, he was probably possessed or being pushed, influenced, influenced right? On a paranormal level. That's what I'm feeling. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't walk out of there. I was just like riveted to the floor and I just got so angry, so angry. I was like, Whoever the F you guys are, this is not, you're not, I, if it's the last thing I do, you're not going to be, get away with this. I'll do whatever I can. I'm going to do everything in my power to stop you from doing this to these people. My friend didn't deserve this at all. And, and that was, I'm thinking this, I wasn't saying it because who would I talk to? The, the church, thank God the church was empty. At the moment, everybody was outside at this, whatever they do, that little reception thing. Mm-hmm. So I compose myself. I walk outside, and there's his sister. And uh, <laughs> sorry, no, I'm having a right. really hard time saying this. Yeah, I know, Robert. It's okay. It's a, it's a very because I a, see her in my mm-hmm. mind when I, I'm, I'm talking to you, and like I've seen her. It's happening. So she she's looking at me, and so naturally I walk over, and I I was gonna say hello, and she just lunged she lunged at me, and with a bear hug. And I mean, we were never really close. It wasn't like, wasn't that kind of affection. It was more like, um, man, it was really out of character because she was a few years older and just, we were not in the same group. I was friends with her brother, not her. Yes. But I knew her. So, I mean, naturally I'd say hello. And, or I, I think I was trying to say, I'm, hey, I'm sorry. Yeah. And then she just grabbed me and was holding me so tight. It reminded me of my friend. Because he was really big in, in football. He had tackled me a few times. I mean, Jesus Christ, <laughs> that guy, I've never been tackled by anybody that hard. He's a really strong guy. And the way she grabbed me, I was like, I, I felt like he was there. Yeah, so, I, I understand. I know that so, feeling, actually. So, so, um, I forget the exact time frame, but I'm guessing like a couple months later, that place was burned to the ground. Oh, no. By a wildfire. Oh, it's just an accident. Well, okay. Uh, <clears throat> that, no, I think it happened on purpose. You Probably know? did, that, yeah. 
that place needed to be burned to the ground because that was really a very horrible, horrible, horrible thing. <clears throat> Sorry about that. It's um, okay. Just okay. I'm just trying to give people illustrate. This is the kind of crap that I deal with, and um, if that was an isolated incident, I probably wouldn't even bring it up. But people have a right to know yeah. that this is the level of evil that exists in Malibu. The root of the word Malibu is mall. In the Romance languages, it literally means bad right. or evil. So, what are the odds? What are the odds? I think it's you know impossible. This is not a coincidence. This is an absolute manifestation of, in other words, it fits. It fits. It absolutely fits. And the the local native people knew about these entities. They were well aware of them, and they would somehow they protected themselves, or they avoided certain areas, especially at night. Especially at night, they would avoid these areas because they knew that these entities would come up with what they called the lower world. We call it the underworld in in the Western culture. And so, yeah, anyway, sorry I got off on that tangent. No, it's okay. Uh, it's good that you relate that story. I think it needed to be heard. <sighs> yeah, I wish it didn't happen. Well, so, you, you had to get it out, Robert. It's okay. And that was years after, you know, saving that boy's life. So 85 September, uh, yeah, this was, I'm thinking 2000 something when my buddy did that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, see, by that time I already knew, I, I knew I didn't have all the answers, but man, if I thought I was going to walk away from it and just, you know, Hey, it's not my problem kind of thing. Yeah. That it got really personal, very ugly. I can't, it's hard for me, you don't, you don't understand the level of pissed off I was at that point. It just, it was beyond description. The feeling I was getting was just overwhelming and it was like, um, I've never been so determined to do anything in my life because of that. I felt that was one of the most just horrific injustices that I personally was involved in <clears throat> and, uh, yeah. You're a good guy, so, Robert, by the way. Well, you know, I try. I'm not, hey, I'm not perfect. I've made some really stupid mistakes. We all life. have. We all have. But, um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, did you want to discuss the, uh, the, the Las Vegas thing real quick? Oh, yeah. Let, yeah. Let's just go over that really quickly, even though we could definitely come back and do it. But yeah, there's yeah. a, there's a couple missing pieces of the puzzle that haven't come out. I mean, they're finally admitting that they were, Looking at a second person of interest, not just his girlfriend, but some other guy. Oh yes. And they're be, they're playing games with this. They, this this guy hasn't granted any interviews. The police aren't saying why. The FBI isn't saying why. The real person of interest is that Saudi piece of crap, uh, Alawid. That's another he was name. There. Yes, he was there. Just like 9/11, he was there. And I'll I'll mm -hmm. put all those pieces together in the final. Okay, so I did I did one article called Satanic Sacrifice in Sin City. Correct. And I and man, there's a lot of graphic stuff there, and I laid it out. I mean, I think I made a very compelling case that this was another, truly another satanic sacrifice like 9/11, and that this guy Paddock was a patsy, and it was all planned out well in advance. Um, so I ended up writing part two. But I only got halfway through it because I realized I was missing some valuable, vital information. And that has everything to do with the Saudis, specifically the ones that were recently arrested and held hostage for a ransom for money. Um, but, yeah, Alawid was involved in that whole thing, but he didn't act alone. There was a Saudi military. The Air Force was there training at Area 51. 
or Nellis or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. for weeks. And, uh, I'm sure Mossad was involved because they're hand in glove with the Saudis. And, uh, yeah, it was a very ugly, very disturbing chapter in our history that most people don't understand the level of that level of warfare because it really is the battle between light and dark. Truly is. And I had said on the program when that incident just occurred that most Americans will move on after a week. And, and they did. Most people totally forgot about all of this. The, the biggest mass shooting we've had. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's already under the rug. People are on other things. Oh, uh, yeah. It's terrible. And I think, I believe the guy's name was Douglas Haig, a, a name that was just brought out. He, yeah, I don't he know who he the, is. Yeah. He was selling the ammunition. He's an ammunition dealer. Okay. Well, yeah, but uh, all right. The, the whatever they found in the room, that was only part of what was being used because there was multiple shooters in right. multiple locations that night. I agree with that. There According to all eyewitnesses and some of the video that was able to be released because, you know, most everybody's cell phone that was being shot at, speaking they, of, they had yeah. their cell phones confiscated. Speaking of video, we, we haven't even seen one video of uh, Stephen doing any of this. We haven't, you know, we haven't seen any of him moving around in the hotel. We haven't seen him actually fire. Oh, that's the other thing that came out that he had requested a different, uh, he didn't, he didn't even ask for that room. They put him in that room at that particular spot so that it would fit to the narrative. Such a strange event. Oh, well, what isn't though? I mean, especially these high profile things, they, Uh, there's all kinds of love. What, uh, so weird. Well, it's this is what sophistry is all about. It's very sophisticated. The root being of that word is Sophia, allegedly the one who birthed the archon demon parasite infection. According to that one particular small cache of scrolls we call the Nagamati Library, it's it isn't really a library. It was just I mean, this is absurd. It was, you know, the Library of Alexandria over time had housed tens of thousands of scrolls. A lot of it was considered to be Gnostic teaching. And uh, most of it was, I mean, I think most of it was looted and then secreted away. Um, but, of course, those library, that library was burnt down on more than one occasion. So, yeah, just like the books in China here. The, one day an emperor of the era said, Burn the books. <laughs> so, so they did. They're they're gone. I mean, as far as we know, for all intents and purposes, and this happened all over the world, just like the Mayan codexes, gone. We have so we have a couple. Does that mean we know what was in the rest of them? Hell no. Right. We have no clue. No clue. Yeah. What these people and they were very intelligent. Yes, they were barbaric, uncivilized. You know, bloodthirsty on some level, but were they? could measure the processions of Venus down to the, you know, nanosecond or something. I mean, it was ridiculous how accurate their observatories were. Um, so anyway, one of these years, God, it would be nice to have access to some some kind of factual information about some, our history. Yeah, something solid for once. Well, I know it's out there somewhere, but uh, I don't know if we'll see it in our lifetime. The truth is out there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. It's not on Fox X-Files. No, that yeah, is right. far, far, <laughs> far from the truth. That is, that's another guy. Uh, what is his name? Um, guy that plays Scully. Um, Dukoffi. I mean, sorry, to play Fo- Fox Mulder. What's his name? Uh, Dukoffi. 
Yeah, he lives in Malibu or off and on. That's one of his hangouts. And same with the producer, uh, Chris uh, Carter. The big wigs, right. I don't know. He's just, I mean, like most, hey, look, it's, it would be easier to say the people, the celebrities and high profile people that haven't lived or vacationed in Malibu. But the, I'll tell you this much. The majority of them have suffered for it. They don't equate the two the way I would or have in, in the research I'm doing, but it's pretty obvious. They all suffer from depression or what they call the inner demon or demons. They've all struggled against their inner demons. Quite a few of them have lost their lives or marriages or family members because yeah. of it. That's what drives us to drug overdoses, yeah. Uh, yeah, Carol O'Connor's son. Um, I believe he was adopted. In any case, and um, also Stallone, they both lived on the beach where I worked. Both of them, those men, lost their sons to yeah. allegedly to drug abuse or overdoses or something. And uh, uh, John Lennon, that lost weekend with uh, that girl, I'm trying to think her name was, May Pang or something. She, uh, they, that's where they were hanging out. So yeah, it's creepy. Like I said, I mean, by itself, it's, it doesn't sound like my, I mean, it's tragic. Yeah. The guy lost his son. But when you start adding it up <laughs> as, as, you know, correlating it the way I do, man, it's just shocking. Yeah. Sometimes uh, that's the, that's the price you pay sometimes. I mean, look, everybody knows Hollywood's just got issues, uh, with fidelity and so, drugs yeah. and so many. Right. Right. But like I said, um, the fact that they, most all of them hang out in Malibu, uh, and even the politicians like the Kennedys were hanging out there with Marilyn Monroe. That's true. Um, uh, and for all of them to, <laughs> to have suffered in that manner violently, uh, the other one was Sharon Tate. Ah, uh, right. She was the impetus for allegedly for the Malibu Barbie, but she mm-hmm. was also in a movie called Don't Make Waves, and that was uh, where she played a character named Malibu, a bimbo named Malibu. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, she was obviously involved in a lot of dark occult stuff. So, like I said, I'm just giving you a very, very brief, just like an appetizer of what I found out. But really, it's uh, found out, I found it out the hard way, and now I'm starting to actually be able to make a presentation of it to others. The only reason I'm doing this, I'm not quite there yet, is because um, people really need to know that's not a good place to go. It's like, you, you know, if you don't want to catch a bo- Ebola, you probably don't, you shouldn't go to Africa or certain villages in Africa, right? You avoid them. Right. Okay. So the same thing, obviously anybody who knows anything about paranormal, well, you don't go to Skinwalker Ranch to camp out. Right. Nobody would, nobody in their right mind would go there. Same is true for Malibu. And people don't know, but they should. Yeah, they don't. Right. Cause, cause like, if you don't know, you're going to go there thinking, oh, hey, this is, this is where the rich and famous go. It's so beautiful. <clears throat> Which is true. But then there's the other thing, the undercurrent, the dark underbelly. The place is freaking dangerous. It truly is. And Robert, I must bring you back on here again. We definitely are <laughs> running out of time here. Okay. I, I do. Yeah, want- I know. Yeah, I do want to thank you tremendously for being a part of the program and sharing all that you have. And uh, definitely a part two will be in the works soon. Okay, wonderful, Michael. I appreciate it. All right, Robert. Uh, go ahead and plug your website before you go. Oh, yeah. Everything I do is um, available through my website. It's uh, unicusmagazine.com. It's spelled U-N-I-C-U-S magazine.com. That's all one word. Most everything is free there. Um 
but that's where you can, if you'd like, you can get copies of my books. Some of our back issues of the magazine, of Unicus magazine, uh, that was the first and only magazine for Earthbound extraterrestrials, by the way. That's how I got, that's how I really became started as a, uh, public figure, journalist, whatever, in this field back in the early nineties. And here I am still doing it. Um, uh, what is it? Oh, an archive of some of my radio. If you click on radio, there's some stuff. Also, I have a video channel on YouTube. Uh, I'm compiling a lot of stuff there. If you want to, I don't know. Some of the people actually, it's really weird, Michael. They, people tell me they go, oh, I, I listen to, like I've listened to like a dozen of your interviews. I'm thinking, why would you do that? I'm talking <laughs> about the same thing pretty much. To me, it sounds like the same. Why would, you know, you listen to one or two and that's it. But anyway, I guess they're, they're hoping they're going to find something new. Uh, and honestly, when I do find something new, you'll, it will be posted on my website. I have upgraded as much as I can last year. We'll see what I can do you know what the future holds but um yeah that's that's where all my work is uh, archived nice now robert you definitely are one of my favorite guests here uh thank you you, you definitely will have to return again uh, it seems like um this just goes by so fast whenever you're on <laughs> yeah yeah a couple hours just flies by um all right well oh well yeah and if something important really does pop I will send it to you because you're on my short list of people that I keep with, uh, in touch with on my, in my media file. Oh, well, thank you um, for that. Hey, welcome. Appreciate it. Yeah, you thank me now. <laughs> Wait <till laughs> you see what comes in the- <laughs> uh, Don't worry. Uh, I think I'm ready for anything nowadays. Okay. I uh, hope so. Yes, sir. All right, Robert. It was always an honor and pleasure to speak to you and we'll do it again sure. soon. Okay. Very good, Michael. Thank you. All right. Mahalo. Mahalo. And that was Robert Stanley. My goodness, what an interview that was. He is definitely one of my favorite people on this planet. He truly is. I do want to thank all of you out there for listening to this. It's always fun when I get behind the mic and talk to these amazing people. I hope all of you really enjoyed this one. Also, I must remind you, if you have missed an episode, please go back to michaeldeacon.com for anything you might have missed. Some pretty good interviews there. And I do want to say thank you to Mr. Robert Stanley for being a part of the program yet again. And if you're listening to this on a replay, keep in mind, you can listen every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the TuneIn Radio app. I'm Michael Deacon. Thanks for listening. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time. Good night, everybody. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were given me like bullshit. Like, you can just see it. It's clear. <laughs> How appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Holden right now. It's crazy. I had no idea they should have worked with the 476. Oh, a Grammy. I like a Grammy. I'm a TV real. A lot of good content. A lot of, a lot of cool topics. You know, I, yeah, I, feel, you know, fortunate to have an opportunity. Speaking of really, really, you know, TV.
Shit's too tight. It's impossible. It's impossible. Impossible. I'll give you a half pound a week. Done. Rock pile. Let's roll. Mr. Green, hold shit down here, man. Hold it down. What happened to impossible? Shit, a half a pound of weed to move mountains. You know what it is. All right, see you down at the rink, man. 